This is a crowd podcast. Hello, I'm Geraint Thomas. And I'm Tom Fordyce. And you've just entered the Geraint Thomas Cycling Club. Brought to you by Zwift, the indoor cycling app where fun is fast. Welcome. Chairman Tom, we're back again. And before we get started, actually, I've got a bone to pick with you, mate. Oh, have you? What's the problem? Well, yeah, since our crash episode, I've had a few near misses and, well, I'm blaming you. You're taking all that blame. <laughs> it's my fault. What are these new near misses? Well, you know, like I say, you know, you don't go on about talking about crashes too much because you're just asking for another one. And basically the other day I was riding along just after this, that pod had come out. And I was coming up to this, this set of lights, right? They were red. There was a scooter there waiting to go. And I was slowly catching up on it. And then the lights changed green. The scooter's still 10 metres in front of me. We both go away. And then he starts slowing down. He drifts into the middle of the road. There's all parking on the left. I was like, oh, he's going to be swinging in there. But I'm not going to go past him just yet. Anyway, next thing I know, boom, 90 degree right hand corner. He he takes it to go up this steep climb to the right. I basically slam on, slide in sideways, shoulder barge him. Uh, luckily, he's on the scooter. He's got a bit of weight, so he doesn't fall off. But basically, then I end up going up this road because, yeah, he, I've basically nearly crashed into him. Turn around and he's like, oh, sorry, sorry, you okay? I said, yeah, I'm fine, in polite French again, and rode off. But I was just thinking, when would that ever normally happen? The scooter just turns right on you, you know? So it only happens after talking about crashes for two hours with Tom Fordyce. So, yeah. Your fault, mate. Listen, I'm sympathetic to all your crashes, but I can't help but feel that, that maybe the person you want to blame for this one is the, the bloke on the scooter, not the chairman of your club. <laughs> yeah, but in... Well, yeah, true. I got no, yeah. Anyway, from now on, that's a rule for the club. We're not talking about crashes. Well, I probably will bring it up at some point, probably, but you're not allowed to, okay? All right, dude, I tell you what. I accept that because none of us want to see you crash anymore. So we shall make this a chairman's rule that as from today's podcast, episode seven, there is no more chat about crashes on the GTCC. Perfect. Appreciate that, mate. There's one other thing, actually. Just want to remind everyone to get the hand-drawn sketches in for the back of our T-shirts, our club T-shirts. Get that design on and I'm sure production is well underway. I'm, I'm guessing you're in, all over that, Tom. Oh, yeah, 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 absolutely. Just leave this one in my capable chairman's hands, G. See what, uh, see what we get to. Hello, I'm Makita Oliver, and I host a daily quiz podcast called Quiz Chat Repeat. Our guest this week is Jay Flynn from the Virtual Pub Quiz. Jay, how did you enjoy Quiz Chat Repeat? It's been awesome having the tables turned on me, uh, checking my knowledge out, seeing what I know. It's been great fun, so thank you very much. So to hear more from Jay, download the podcast, search for Quiz Chat Repeat in your podcast app, or if you want to play Jay's quiz on YouTube, go on there, search for Virtual Pub Quiz. He has a live stream every Thursday and Saturday night. Gee, I've got good news. We've got another sponsor. Our friends at Amp Human are on board. Now, they're a human performance company dedicated to helping athletes at all levels achieve their potential. So even amateurs like me. AMP's flagship product, PR Lotion, is the world's first and only lotion to deliver the natural electrolyte bicarb to the body. Now, I know this sounds a bit fancy, but you've been using this PR Lotion for the last two years, haven't you? What's it like? 
Yeah, I like it. It's obviously, I use it for any hard session, really, or on Zwift, uh, in time trials as well. You just lather up in it, basically, whichever muscles you're using. Yeah, and it just gives you that bit of a buffer, and it, I definitely feel it sort of helps me. Well, there's also 40 years of data showing bicarb's ability to buffer acid as it builds up in muscle during exercise. Studies show a 50% reduction in muscle soreness when using PR lotion. And even better... Amp Human is giving our listeners 25% off their next purchase using the code GTCC and then the number 25. Just visit amphuman.com forward slash GTCC and start training with your PR lotion today. So I like the fact we're taking turns to choose topics, Tom. Last week, obviously, you chose excellently with cafes and coffee. So, uh... I'm going to take it back to technical stuff actually now. And I thought we'd talk about wind. Wind, that's a good one. That's a really good one. Because wind, of all the things that you elites experience in races, there's the predictable stuff, like you know it's going to be a high mountains day or you know it's going to be a, a sprinter's day. But the wind is the great unpredictable one, isn't it? Like that can blow a race apart. Yeah, definitely. It can. You can be expecting it and nothing can happen and you might not even be expecting anything and then all hell can break loose. So, uh, yeah, in races, it's certainly a massive factor. But I think it's something that we all experience just riding our bikes in general, you know, whether we're training for the Tour de France or training to, I don't know, do you, I don't know, what do people train for? <laughs> <laughs> Keep fit, enjoy, enjoy the riding. Exactly, yeah, just to ride around. So There's something about, like, obviously we all prefer tailwinds to headwind, and we'll get onto crosswinds in a minute. But equally, there's those days where, certainly at my level, I go out for a ride and I'm, I've been riding about five minutes and thinking, I tell you what, I'm going quite fast today. Yeah, I think I'm feeling quite fit. I think that, I think that new fitness regime of mine is really paying off. I'm feeling, and then you go around the corner and you're like, oh, it's a tailwind. Yeah, <laughs> totally. I remember when I was a kid, we used to do this ride down Newport Flats, basically. So from Cardiff heading towards Newport, it was always a tailwind out, but you'd always kind of forget. So you'd be flying out and then obviously on the way back then you'd be like, oh man, I I actually thought there was no wind today. And yeah. then there's obviously this massive headwind. And I even get that now, to be honest. I remember one ride I did with Froomey. I think we were out in like Tenerife and we we're going along thinking, Fwah, you know, we're going all right here with a bit of a headwind. And then suddenly about two hours later when we're heading home, we're like, actually, this is a headwind now. We've had a tailwind up until this point. <laughs> so uh, that is never good for morale. It's hard as well because there's always gear that you can buy for rain. A lot of us, if you ride in the UK, you spent a lot of money on trying to find the perfect raincoat or overshoes, all that sort of stuff. There's not really anything you can spend your money on to, to make it easier when the wind blows. No, there's not. Just make sure you have stuff that fits you. Otherwise, you'll just turn into a parachute. But yeah, yeah, like we were talking about on the time trial episode of Rowan, you know, obviously there's been a lot of money spent on aero stuff and that makes a huge difference. But when it just comes from day-to-day -day riding, now you're right. It's just basically trying to get lower on your bike, basically, isn't it? But, yeah, wind. Oh, it's a bastard. Oh, it's, better than, <laughs> it's better than rain, though, I guess. Is it? I think so. What about a warm rain? I would take a warm rain over a headwind. Yeah, rain in sort of like, I don't know, Asia somewhere or Australia. Yeah, that's fine. I'd take that. Lovely. But, but rain up in the valleys oh, or wind, I'd, I'd take wind, I think. So you, I would say that wind has def not defined your career, but you certainly had a few moments in your career where 
where wind, <laughs> wind has made a uh, difference. There was in, the incident at Ghent Vevelgum in 2015. Talk us through that because I was, I was watching that this morning just to remind myself what happened and also to remind myself of all the internet memes that followed afterwards because of the position that you ended up in. <laughs> yeah, it was quite a spectacular dismount, wasn't it? See, I don't need, I don't need yoga to get in some crazy position. <laughs> no, that's true. <laughs> yeah, so Ghent Wevelgum, obviously it's in Belgium. And it's notorious, really, for, for being windy. But this day was just horrific. It's been the worst wind I've ever raced in or ridden in, for sure. And basically, there's this one section of road. I can't remember the name of it. Our guest will, will certainly know it. Everybody knows it. It's a 90-degree left-hander, maybe 30-odd K into the race of a 250K race. And we knew it was going to be massive crosswinds and it's, you had to be at the front. So it was a big fight to be in position. And then basically we get onto this section of road and the wind gusts, I, I've no idea what they were, but they must have been close to 100k an hour. It was just, Whoa. it was unbelievable. And there was 90 kilo plus riders getting blown off this road <laughs> into the ditch and into the uh, canal. Seriously, there was like, oh, it was insane. And somehow I managed to sort of... You know, stay in the wheel, stay sheltered for a lot of it. But I get through that section. I'm in the front group, and then I make the break. You know, going for the win. There's maybe six or seven of us in this break. Then we go into like more of a tailwind, so you kind of get a bit comfortable. And then we come around this other corner, 90 degree left. Take a gust straight into like my left, and it felt like getting hit in the ribs almost. It just blew me straight off the road into the grass. All these bumps, and then yeah, kind of bounce do a front flip over my bars and um, pull some crazy shapes with my legs. And uh, <laughs> yeah, but like I say, yeah, I was fine. Landed on the grass, landed on my back, straight back on my bike and got back into the group and ended up third that day. But um, I was that nailed at the end, right? It came to a K to go. I didn't know it was a K to go because I couldn't see the red kite, which every race with a K to go has a big banner across the road, a big red thing, kite, basically. I couldn't even see that. I was just like, blurry eyed like completely nailed physically and mentally from just the torment of the day and um yeah it was a two-up sprint with Nicky Terpstra who's won well he's won Paris-Roubaix probably the most iconic one day race over the cobble so he's a pretty good rider and yeah he just beat me in the sprint but for second I'll never forget that day and like you say those pictures will will always be out there I guess. <laughs> Is that the first and only time that you're you've had your ankle a foot above your left ear. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I think so. I hope it's the last as well, to be fair. <laughs> right, Geraint, who have we got as our guest this week? I'm not sure we're actually going to be able to top Vinny and Bill from last week. Who, who's on the agenda? No, that is a tough ask, isn't it, old Vinny and Bill? But uh, yeah, well, obviously we got, we're on about wind, so I thought I'd guess someone that, well, one, loves to race in it, and two, is pretty good at it, and uh, it always gets a lot of plaudits, for a good reason. So we've got along Luke Rowe. Welcome. Thanks for having me, mate. Well, that's probably one of the first compliments I've had. Appreciate it. <laughs> from me or from any- anyone? <laughs> from you. From you. <laughs> well, you're welcome. Make the most of it. So on those mornings, you two, where your sport director says to your boys, today's a windy one, or the forecast shows that there's a wind's going to blow... What's it like in the What's it like in the team hotel? Does this sort of little surge go around? Everyone goes, "Uh oh, it's going to be one of those days." Yeah, I think um, it's kind of something that you can see coming a couple of days out. For example, like already at the Tour de France, 
now for 2021, there's stages earmarked that, you know, oh, that could be a crosswind day. So, and then you check the weather forecast closer and closer and it becomes apparent, you know, two, three days out if it's going to be game on or not. And there's a lot to be won or lost. So, um, yeah, there is a certain level of, of nerves. And yeah, for me, it's a case of, um, I feel a bit, a bit the pressure because you're there to make sure a GC leader or, or the leader is in the right place at the right time. And, and for someone like G, it's more a case of he's got to look after himself and use the team and make sure he doesn't get caught out. And, you know, in a grand tour, you can lose, you know, a couple of minutes and that can be, you know, tough to get back. Yeah, they can be more decisive than a mountain stage. You know, you look at something like Alpe d'Huez, there was five of us at the finish. Okay, five is small, but they're all the top GC guys. Whereas in a windy stage, yeah, there could only be two or three GC guys in the front group and the others could be minutes behind. To be honest, I do enjoy it, but only once you've made the front. Like, because nine times out of ten, I've, I'm there. But that one time out of ten when you're not, there's nothing worse. And you know you're just losing time hand over fist. And uh, yeah, it can be pretty tough going. But I'm lucky enough that someone like Luke, for me, it makes it a lot easier because I just basically have to follow him. Even though I, there is that stress and stuff with me and you've got to be switched on and know what you're doing, I can still take it down a notch and just put put it all on him. You know, this is his day, basically. And, and I just follow him. And if I lose time, I can blame him. And everything's all right. <laughs> so, okay, Luke, I'm going to give you a scenario. It's Tour de France, let's say uh, 2021. It's a sort of transition stage, but it's quite open. It's quite windy. You come into a section like 2K's time, you're expecting crosswinds and the forecast is saying these winds are blowing. What are you doing? So at that point, 2K out, normally the road would just be completely blocked, gutter to gutter. It'll be teams lined up and 2K before a section, it's pretty much where you are there is where you're going to be in 2K's time and uh, there's not going to be a lot of time to, to move the, the pelts on. It's that early, is it? So oh, when does it start forming them? When are, you, when are you starting to marshal the troops? I mean, if there's going to be crosswinds after 50K from kilometre zero, it's it's nervous already because, you know, the road's only so big and once you're at the front and once you, you've got your position, it, it's hard to move up, but it's also, unless something happens, you're not really going to move back. So yeah, 2K to go, it'll be nervous. It'll be people screaming and shouting at each other. And then, yeah, I think I think for, for us, it would be a case we'd like to be, you know, at the front uh, with the guys who are expected to be there on that day. So, you know, you'd have your GC leaders, you'd have your, your domestiques who are suited to them characteristics, you know, myself, Dylan, Criato, you'd, you'd want them type of guys in the front around the GC guys. And, you know, you'd have, probably have some, if if you knew it was going to kick off at that point, you probably already have some some pointers off like Google Maps or something like, oh, this roundabout is a K to go, this railway crossing is one and a half K to go. And you're just kind of counting down them things, right, there's a railway crossing, there's the roundabout, right, we've to the left a bit or, or whatever it is. And just, yeah, have one final double espresso caffeine gel and off you go, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's the thing with the tour, isn't it? It's, it's on roads you don't know. Also, the variety of riders and their abilities to race in, on the flat and in the wind is is a lot more varied. Whereas you get the one-day classics, everyone there is a specialist. It's generally the same route every year, so you know know the roads anyway. You know where the wind's going to come and stuff. So with the tour, there's a lot more variables. And obviously, you've got the, the climbers who, let's be honest, aren't the best suited to that. They've certainly got strength in the legs, but... They don't have, they're not as punchy. They're not as big and powerful. And then even like 
like coming in to say there's a 90 degree right and there's going to be crosswinds it's just like a lead out in a bunch sprint you know some guys just bury themselves for that like I remember the Worlds when they were in Qatar and Cav finished second it was basically that after whatever kilometre there was a big right hand corner and and yeah I can't remember who it was Luke I think it was Stanard maybe but Yogi yeah, yeah Yogi and he basically his finish line was this corner and there was still I don't know 150k to go but he sacrificed his whole race for the rest of us, got us in there first and um, or second, whatever it was. And uh, the boys were there then. And obviously Cav was in front all the way to the finish then and, and ends up coming second. So yeah, there's a lot of, uh, the team plays a big part in it. I think that's when it helps when you have a couple of guys that know what they're doing in the team as well. For instance, FDJ, no offence to them, but none of them have a clue. Whereas, <laughs> <laughs> don't worry, they won't be listening. <laughs> uh, but with us like obviously you got myself that's done it a lot you, you obviously got Luke we had Stannard you know Quiato uh, and Quiato he's you know he's got about 10 apps with the wind as well so he knows like everything you know with team oh he's ridiculous well. he's, with his apps isn't he oh he's, so he's the weather then, expert is he oh he's yeah he's a, he's a weather god everything yeah. and then he's got like during the meetings he's got you know Google Maps up and he's like talking about this and that and but He's sat there with like four four iPads, two phones and a laptop, <laughs> 12 different websites. Real time, like he's, he's probably on some, hacked into some CCTV and can see the, the where the flags are going. On the black web. Specific point. <laughs> yeah. Has the he got one of those web, moving radar patterns that they only have in like the military? Seven of them. Everything, mate. <laughs> can you explain to us, right, the, the, let's get into the mechanics of how echelons work. So let's say we're looking, we've got an overhead shot of a, of, a, of a road and the wind's coming across from the left-hand side. Luke, can you talk us through why you get that pattern that you do on the road and then how it works if you're a rider within that little group? Good luck. Right, I'm going to try, try and get my head around this and try and, <laughs> try and make it as easy as possible to understand. <laughs> I think, first of all, a common misconception of what a perfect crosswind is if you're going along a road and the wind is hitting you from the left 90 degrees, that often won't cause big splits. What you need is it come in cross tail. So from your left at a 45 degree angle, not a 90. So I think that's one common misconception to start with. Essentially, the speed causes the split. So if you get that slight cross tail, you know, you'd be on 20k an hour faster than direct cross. So you, yeah, you want it over your left hand shoulder or right hand shoulder. And then the person who is on the front, will be all the way over to the left, giving shelter to, to the, all them guys rotating around. And basically that'll go from all the way from the left-hand gutter all the way to the right-hand gutter. And depending on the size of the road, depends how many guys can be in that front echelon. So if you're in um, Tour Qatar and you're racing on a three-lane highway, you can, have, you can have 50 guys in one group all rotating, everyone taking their turn. But if you're in Paris-Nice and it's, it's narrow roads, you can have as little as eight guys. You know, it depends how, how small the roads are. And then essentially you just, you know, it's a chain gang, it's a rotation. It's a continuous, continuous turn. So you do your, you know, your five, six seconds on the front over the person in front. And then you go back, go backwards towards the, towards the right hand side of the road. And that's where in this situation, I think it's one of the racing conditions where having teammates is, is the most advantageous because where the problem becomes is, and this is kind of hard to explain, when you get into the back of that line, this, the line that's going slower and backwards, you then want to get back into the line progressing and going forwards and further forwards to the left. 
But to get back in that line, somebody has got to let you in the line. You know, you can't barge your way in. You can't. So you've got to kind of hope that one of your teammates is there to say, you know, Luke up. And then you jump in and you're back in that, you're back in that continuous cycle. And if, if you're on your own, you just got to try and make as many friends as possible, as quickly as possible, which. Uh, Mad bargaining, bribery and yeah, desperate just, pleading. Yeah, it is. It is. It is. Which is tough for Luke when you've had as many fights in the peloton as he has. <laughs> yeah, mainly because of fighting because of you, looking after you and days like that. <laughs> yeah, I haven't got many friends. No, it, it, exactly what Luke said. And it's kind of like the guy almost plays like the bouncer in a way. So the first guy that's about to go into that line that's progressing forwards, he'll stay on the end and shout it in to his teammates. And then once the last one's in, then he'll follow then you'll each take in turns to be the, the bouncer or the guard, so to speak, you know, letting your boys in. But it's, that gets pretty technical then. But uh, then even if you want to attack as a team, you can even make the road narrower yourselves. So just ride half road, which is basically making the amount of guys that can rotate with you less. So then behind that rotation, there's just one long thin line of everyone that's in the gutter then. So you would see it from that aerial. It's like, the aerial shots, you kind of got a chain almost going round and then one thin line behind that in the gutter. And then that's when breaks, that's when the group splits then because you can't stay there just taking the full force of the wind for too long. You, you need that shelter. Yeah, it's like that front rotation. Once you're in there, if you imagine you hit the front of that rotation once every minute and you're at the front of that rotation for five seconds, you're just going over the top, little almost sprint acceleration over the top. But unless you're in that rotation, if you're in that single file line behind, you're you're taking the wind from the left-hand side the whole time. And you can only do that for so long. So that elastic's got to snap. So whilst the, the front echelon is taking, 20 guys are taking five-second pulls each, everyone else behind that is just taking 100% of the wind. And they can only do it for so long. And that's when, like G says, the elastic snaps and, um, and, and big gaps form. Aha. Uh-huh. So if you get, if you don't get into the front echelon, and you're sort of thinking, well, it's all right because another echelon will form behind me. Do you then have the same problem as that echelon's coming past you getting into that one? So you've been dropped from the first echelon. You look back and there's this second echelon roaring across to you. And if you go far left of the road, like the wind's going from the left, if you go far left, it's just going to fly inside you and you're going to end up in the third, fourth, fifth, and you keep going back groups. If you end up on far right, potentially the same thing applies. So what you should do, and you don't make many friends doing it, is just plonk yourself <laughs> directly in the middle of the road. And as it's come in, so say it's going 50k an hour and you're going 40, as it's getting closer, you're checking, you're checking, you're looking over your shoulder and you just accelerate so that it catches you and you're going the same speed and you kind of just slot straight into the middle of, of the rotation. That's, that's, that's pretty much the only way to get back into a group once you've been dropped from a group. First time I did Qatar, we won the team time trial and I was like in the young rider jersey or something. And basically that happened to me. Like I I missed the first group. I went backwards and I, I missed, couldn't get in the second one. Before I knew it, I was in the back group in the fifth group or something on the road. And was just like, holy shit. I, like what happened? So uh, yeah, you learn pretty quickly uh, how to sort of ride in those conditions. I was just going to say it's the type of thing you can only learn by doing. You can never explain it to someone in full depth until you, you're you in the thick of it, you're in a bike race, 
the wind's roaring and it's in groups and echelons and there's people everywhere until you experience that there's no real way of explaining it perfectly or or trying to comprehend how hard a style of racing it is i did tour guitar for the last time maybe five six years ago and and to date they're still my highest power numbers ever recorded and wow. people would say well that's you know it's pan flat 180k and it's literally it's a desert it's pan flat and then you race in the mountains you go up these big climbs but yet the highest power numbers are, are racing on the pan flat in the echelons it's just it's such intense style of racing it almost sounds the way you two have described it like if you're in the surf and it's this quite big heavy surf and you're trying to catch a wave and let's say you get tumbled by the first wave and you don't have much time to get up and then you get hit by the next one and you never actually regain your feet yeah it is exactly that basically and it's um like luke says until you do it and you know what you're doing it's it's it helps being in a good team as well like for instance if you're in quick step or someone or our team we we you know if you're one of the guys that instigate it um it's certainly uh, easier because you're there doing it you know at the front whereas um you know if you're a bit behind like in the tour 2019 actually me and luke we hit a roundabout and we actually went left and generally there's a recon car and they tell you which side is better but there was a bit of a miscommunication here and we were told to go left and that was the long way around and we lost about 50 positions and it was just as it was kicking off so we knew basically we had to get to the top 20 15 in the next minute or so otherwise we weren't going to be there and um yeah that was a bit of a mad sprint to the front hey eh, luke but uh we made yeah, it that was stressful we made it mate we made it <laughs> <laughs> just just a eh? So Luke, you've got to be the bossy one. You're the road captain for Ineos. I'm going to give you yet another scenario, okay? Your scenario now is that it's all starting to boot off. You have got, alongside you, you've got a Spanish team. You've got an Italian team. You have got a Belgian team. You're all fighting for position. You need to use some verbal communication as well. Are you shouting in four or five different languages or are you just giving it some nice Cardiff vernacular? I think first and foremost, when it... When it does get crazy in the peloton and when, you know, like we spoke about 2K before a crosswind or, you know, when there's a lot on the line, I think, and I actually think it's something I've got a lot better at since the first few years of my career, is like the more calm you can be, the better. And it's probably something that I've taught myself is, you know, you can be a leery little shit and no one really, <laughs> people have heard it all before, aren't they? And I think as the years have passed, I've learned that. And it's something I wish I could go back and tell myself for my first few years of my career. But I think first and foremost, yeah, the more calm you can stay, the better. And you don't want to be that guy who's shouting and yelling unnecessarily. Of course, there's going to be arguments at certain times. But I mean, if something happens and you get switched to, or you, you get angry, I think your native tongue just comes out, doesn't it? And it's, uh, it wouldn't be, <laughs> I, would, I would never really swear in another language. It would always be, what are you doing, bud? <laughs> you know, like... <laughs> Sorry, I was going to say, it is funny though. It's like always the same sort of boys there fighting for, because it's like Luke, there's other guys in different teams that are always doing that job, you know? So it's the same guys always fighting each other. And like I said with Stannard uh, in the Domestiques episode, the next day they're all in the gruppetto together, you know, just laughing and joking and helping each other get through a mountain stage. But um, in the heat of that moment, it's just, you're just doing it for your team, aren't you? And you're doing what you have to do. It must be an amazing rush. Like, let's say it all works out and you get in the front group. And for you, Luke, your job, it's not done, but your job was, that stage of the job was worked. It must be a massive buzz. Yeah, I think G spoke about 2019 Tour de France. 
that was a prime example of where it, it did go really well. And, you know, G and Egan, our two leaders both made the front and we were there with Johnny, myself, Dylan, Kriato. We were there with numbers and it was, um, you know, we were really well represented. We took time on a lot of big challenges. Uh, I think Pino, Fuslang, Richie Port, all these guys lost time. And that's like, a, that was a fine example of, I think, we knew where it was going to happen. Okay, we weren't the most organized when it kicked off, but once it really got going, it went smoothly and we and we took time and it was a, it was a super successful day. And for me, that's, that's as good as it gets. And I think that really, when you do something like that as a team and you're not just there with a couple of guys, but you're there with the team, everyone who has a chance to be there was there. I think it really lifts the whole team up. And that was um, stage 10, followed by a rest day and, and the morale was high throughout the whole team. And it just gives you confidence. You know, you put, puff your shoulders out and you think, you know, we've got two GC guys who are super climbers. We haven't really started the climbs yet and they've, they've already got time in the bank. And I think it, yeah, in general, I think there's no greater buzz. Maybe a team time trial comes similar where you really win together. A stage like that where you take time in a big grand tour on the biggest, on the biggest uh, stage like the Tour de France, when you take time over other GC guys, that's that's a win. That's For me, that's the same buzz as... as winning a race not not that i particularly know what or can remember what the buzz of winning a race is like but that's how i imagine it you know when i see these guys crossing the line i think oh, that's yeah uh-huh. that's what it's like in a, on a good crosswind. day on a good day yeah <laughs> so on a crosswinds day you know you're all there together and you're all sort of fighting and then you're all in the front and yeah it's, it's great for the the morale of the team for sure and if you flip it around, if you're one of the teams who who gets that wrong, like that example you gave us there, Luke, if you're if you're FDJ and you've you've messed up there, it's it's like the equivalent of an own goal, isn't it? You've just you've just tossed away seconds through your own mistake. Yeah, I mean, mistake, and you know, it's not all pot. It's not all potluck. You know, there is a lot of skill and having the power to do it as well. And I think that was a prime example of what you just mentioned then, FGJ, in the 2019 Tour de France on the exact day we were talking about. You know, you went into the, I think we did the Alps first and Pino was, looked like the strongest guy. He was looked to set, set to win the Tour de France. But after that particular day, the crosswind day, he crossed the finish line and he was crying. So that, you know, that's what it's like to be on the other end. I mean, personally, I've never cried because I missed a spl- crosswind split. But, you know, when a guy like him, He's got the weight of a nation on his back. He knows he's in great form. He knows if he can pass these shitty, unpredictable stages, he can go to the mountains and he can he can do what he wants, but he has to tick these boxes first and pass these days safely, which which he didn't. And that's, uh, I mean, in the end, he had a bad knee and he climbed off, but he looked out and out the strongest in, in the Alps. And, you know, he could have gone on to have, you know, had a great Tour de France, but lost it because of that day. I think that we got caught out in 2014 tour. I don't know if you were there, actually. I don't think you were. I wasn't there, mate. I wasn't there. It's <laughs> not my fault. We made it it's when I was there. isn't it? Have you set that one up for him, G, so he looks better? Yeah, maybe. But I think it was 14 anyway, because basically I remember Stannard was there because it was his fault. I blamed him. So basically I was leading the team for a bit and we were staying near the front. It was a bit dangerous, a bit dodgy. And then Stannard came past me. And I kind of switched off a little. So it was Stannard, me, through me. Through me, obviously, our leader. He just, he'd won the previous year. And then it all kicked off. I think it was Saxo and um, Contador. They went. And then there's not a worse feeling, like Luke was saying, like you can see it going. So we're all moving. We're all sprinting, trying to get up onto it. We didn't make them. So then it's like, okay, we've got to form our own echelons. We were the second echelon. But there wasn't enough of guys with us. Um, you know, in front, there was obviously 
sack. So I think they had the help of another team because quick step. Well, yeah, quick step probably. Yeah. So we were just stuck behind, and there was only like three or four of us really rolling through. There was like a good fifteen there, and I think we lost a minute or something. And even though obviously you don't want to lose that time, and through me had a buffer anyway it didn't affect him greatly but it's more the morale of the team and everything and afterwards you're like oh bollocks like it's like it's almost like like your masculinity is almost like dented with it you know you're like <laughs> shit like this should be this is what we do you know and uh yeah that was that was the one that cut the deepest i think for us so it was you and stanard looking after through me <laughs> Yeah, but you, you, and you're putting it on Yogi. Stanard was Stanard was in charge for that moment. I was on a break. I was on a oh, fag okay. break. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry to butt in. What's the name of that? The really windy section in Ghent Wavelgum. The Murren, eh? There we go. The Murren. That's an amazing pronunciation. Give us another go at that. Eh, uh, the Murren, eh? Always wind there. Eh? <laughs> <laughs> I did have other questions about different sorts of winds. Luke, you know, questions about what headwinds do to sprint finishes, but that was so good that, and also I suppose if I'm going to talk to you about sprint finishes into tailwinds, when you've just pointed out that it's been a while since you've been at the business end in a race like that, that you might not have that much additional information for us, but all the rest of it's been brilliant. (laughs) No, mega. I think we nailed that, boys. Um, Thanks a lot for having me. Cheers, Bert. Thanks for coming. Ciao, ciao. So, Thomas, week seven of your swift journey. Tried anything new this week? This week, G, the thing I tried that was new was using Zwift with the garage door open while snow blew in, which was nice. And my nine-year-old son tried to pepper me with snowballs, which was a nice touch. (laughs) I was doing the Dirt Destroyer training program, which is the nice mountain bike one, which sort of suits me. I ended up doing, right, let let me get this right, eight times 30 seconds at 400 watts with 30 seconds recovery three times which i know to you is like a little bike ride to the shops for me that was quite hardcore i felt quite sick and afterwards about half an hour later i felt brilliant so it's been a good week for me on zwift and if you're listening to this and you fancy a bit of that you too can try zwift just go to zwift.com to start your free trial and then you can join me and g in our weekly gtcc group rides every wednesday at 6 p.m they're fun they're sociable we have a bit of a chit chat and everyone's invited So, Geraint, you stuck this out on your social media again, didn't you? Asking people for their windiest rides. Uh, Some delightful tales, some filth as well. People have obviously um, interpreted windy in their own ways, including our guest. And I noticed that multiple Olympic champion and knight of the realm, Sir Chris Hoy, also made a flatulence joke on your social media feed. Um, here's, one from, here's one from David Coates. David Coates says, coming down off the cat and fiddle towards Mac, this is familiar to a lot of us in the Northwest, uh, had to get off and walk as the wind was shearing in all directions. That is quite an exposed road, that one, isn't it? And you've done that one a fair few times, Garrett, when you were a younger man on the Olympic programme up in Manchester. Yeah, most definitely. It definitely uh, brings back some memories. That, and the trucks coming past you up there as well. Oh, yeah, that's a shocker. Here's a nice one from More Pies Than What, which I guess is a username rather than a surname. If that is your surname, uh, More Pies Than What's unlucky. Northwest District 50TT on the old two-lap cram to Ellington course. Wind picked me up and moved me across a lane at a roundabout, and I'm 18 stone plus. (laughs) That must have been a gust and a half. 
Uh, I've seen one, you and Mackenzie, any uphill in Edinburgh. Now, I don't know if that's just an excuse or what, but... Um, it does get blowy in Edinburgh though, doesn't it? Because you've got, you know, you've got the coastal bit just, you going, you, yeah. It does, but every uphill? I think that's an excuse. Mm. Uh, Gillian, Lanzarote. Oh yeah. Jan, this year, caught in a sandstorm, went out in a white top that was yellow when we got back. I remember that because I think Ian Stannard was there at the time and he sent me a picture when he got back from his ride and he had this big beard and this, oh, his face was like, yeah, horrendous. Like a minion. Yeah. So there was, there was a lot of votes for Lanzarote and Tenerife, to be fair, and Vaughn too. Very windy places. Quite a nice one from Jamie Peterson. He says, crossing the old Severn Bridge about a year ago. Yeah, I know what you mean here, Jamie. Held my bike in the air by its saddle and stem and it was blown horizontal. That's wind. That's proper wind. <laughs> Ian, every ride since I stopped competing became unfit and fat. Every metre feels like it's into a headwind. I know how that feels like as well. In November. (laughs) I noticed one as well from Michael Hutchinson, who's a broadcaster and writer and a bit of a time trial expert, isn't he? Had a punt at the hour record once. And he said, a Fenland, because he lives up in Cambridgeshire, a Fenland TT where the headwind was so strong I had to get off and walk and then discovered I couldn't walk into it either. (laughs) That's a proper t- proper headwind. And then he's got a friend who claims he crashed into a hedge because the tailwind was so strong, it blew his aero helmet over his eyes. Blimey. So right then, Garrett, in, the, in these scenarios where people are facing awful winds, whether it's a headwind or a crosswind, what are the little tips that we could use to get through these scenarios? Well, I think if it's a headwind, try and ride behind somebody. That's always uh, helpful. Um, yeah. if, if you're on your own, I guess just try and get a bit lower by position really and other than that though it's just mind over matter and you just gotta I don't know there's nothing you can do is there really you've got to get home do you treat it like a climb almost is it because because the resistance is that much greater is it worth just shifting down into a smaller gear and just trying to spin it out yeah yeah definitely and you definitely got to pace it as well you got to know well hopefully you know kind of how much further you got into that headwind and I guess if you're planning a ride, if you start the ride, you'd always try and hope to go out into the headwind. So at least you get an easier way back. What about in that cat and fiddle scenario where you're going down, you might be doing a descent or you're on a quickish bit and a massive great wagon comes past you and it gives you a wobble. What do you do then? Uh, I'd probably try and get behind it. Would you? <laughs> get a yeah. good toe? Yeah, if it, certainly if it's a head or a tailwind. If it was a crosswind, then yeah, I'd leave it, you know. But I think you definitely want to give yourself a bit of room from the gutter, though. I wouldn't ride right on the edge of the road in case you do get a gust. You don't. Last thing you want is to get blown off. I've always find pedaling as well kind of helps, just to keep pedaling. Don't yeah, just, balance otherwise, wise. Yeah, otherwise you feel a bit like a kite, and you're just sort of just there, just getting buffeted. Just try and keep pedaling, and I guess if you're going to go out and the wind is like that, then try and stick to the lanes. You know, you've got a bit of hedge cover, cover, especially in the winter. And if it is really windy, maybe just stay home and go on Zwift. It's a yeah. lot safer, easier. <laughs> and I suppose finally, because it was Sir Chris Hoy who um, brought this podcast into the gutter by talking about the other sort of wind, um, we probably need a solution to that. If you are on a club ride and maybe you've had an overly fibrous breakfast um, and you're in the in the drops and you're having an issue, what should we do? Just quietly drop to the back of the group without making too much of a fuss and relieve the pressure before moving back through the wheels? It depends who's wheel. Well, it depends who's sat on behind you, doesn't it? Really, <laughs> if if they're a bit of a knob, just let it out. Just crack on. Yeah, just blame the sheep or something. 
<laughs> but in general, though, well, yeah, I, I would sort of maybe swing to the side and, uh, yeah, do your business. Does it ever happen in the peloton, though? Like, I don't want to talk about this too much, but I sort of do at the same time. Like, in the peloton, where you're all, sometimes your stomach is not in a great place in the peloton, is it? Because you've had a lot of energy drinks or, you know, quick carbs and stuff like that. Is it the stories you hear from, from rugby scrums of props just cracking on or just the smells and the rest. do you get a bit of that in the peloton <laughs> uh i'm sure you do and most of the time you don't really hear it because you're going quite fast and you're you know concentrating on something else but when it is uh a bit slower yeah there's definitely wout pals actually he's done it quite <laughs> a few times uh just a big loud one but to be fair as we all know the silent ones are probably the worst of course you know just that yeah, like air escaping from a tyre. <laughs> uh, yeah, they're the worst. <laughs> nah, to be fair though, cyclists are pretty filthy. So farting or tooting, as my wife likes to call it, tooting is uh, <laughs> one of the milder things that people sort of do, yeah. You know, because there's all snot, people are spitting. Oh, like, yeah, yeah. You know, urinating off your bike. Like, not that people urinate on each other, but, you know, a bit of a gust of wind, it can easily at least go all down your own leg. Some people wee when they're going downhill if it's raining, you know, that they're wet already, so... What, they're just doing it in the shorts? Yeah, 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 yeah. I've done that before. Uh, when I won in Flesh, Flesh de Sud, when I was like, well, oh, still an amateur, I, uh, yeah, weed in my shorts because I was dying for a wee and, like, it was 20k to go. I was in the front. I was like, well, I, don't, I can't stop now. And, yeah, it'd been raining all day, so, yeah, why not? At least I went to the back of the group to do it. Were you able to keep pedalling while you were doing it? Because if you ever go swimming no. in the sea and you find yourself thinking, I need a little pee here, it's impossible to keep, move, keep moving, isn't it? You sort of stand there in the, in the shallows or the deeps and just um, try and make your, your upper body move so it doesn't look quite so obvious that you're having a, <laughs> having a pee. Yeah, yeah. It's, just like, it's hard on a bike. I've, I've kind of mastered it now. I can only wee when I really have to on the move now without stopping. But um, yeah, even if I do it in my shorts... You've got to stop pedalling, I find, anyway. You've got to really relax, you know, and just... Yeah. Yeah, just let <laughs> it out. <laughs> so if we're, if we're watching like an exciting one-day race or the conclusion of a stage race and we suddenly see in the lead break group one of the protagonists stop pedalling on a downhill or just stop pedalling for about 20 seconds, should we erase the question of what they're doing? Yeah, maybe, maybe. If you look closely and, you know, you might see a different sort of fluid running down their leg. I don't know. <laughs> but anyway, we've we've kind of gone off topic here a bit. We have, we're talking about yeah. wind, but... <laughs> it's Chris Hoy's fault. That's fine. Yeah, yeah, blame him. Blame him. So, of course, we're nearly at the end of the pod, which means it is time once again for any other business led by me, your slightly hapless interim chairperson g can you guess the first order of the day by now <laughs> yeah i think that's pretty straightforward tom isn't it it's, i think you probably going to be appointments is it where you try and just delegate a load more of your work off to other people yeah you know how i work as a chairperson that is exactly right now this first one i think g is going to please both you and sir your wife because we found someone else to represent the junior section i mean she is pretty junior herself but i've got total faith She'll grow into the role. So Pete got in touch 
to nominate his daughter Katie as our junior representative. Katie's 11, and get this, she's attempting to ride the distance of Land's End to John O'Groats between January and March by doing about 10 miles a day on Zwift. Fair play. Fair play, Katie. I think um, 100% will get behind you here and try and get a few people to join you along the way. What do you reckon? So any listeners that want to come and help Katie on her journey, get in touch. Yeah, definitely. Get in touch with us. So second appointment today is for the official GTCC Lantern Rouge. And I know this sounds slightly surprising. We've actually had quite a fair few people get in touch about this role. Um, Jason Nibs, for example, says he definitely has the appropriate skill set. G, can you just talk us through the skills required for a Lantern Rouge? Uh, I guess the most obvious is being slow uh, on a bike. Um, Lantern Rouge obviously last place in the Tour de France, but um, I think you've you've got to have some good banter. You got to have be you know be positive. I think even in the in your worst moments and uh, yeah, good morale. I think for, for the team around you. Well, listen, that sounds ideal because Antoine Dupave, which is an amazing, possibly my favourite name we've had yet on the GTCC. Um, also wants to be the club official Lantern Rouge. And he says, my credentials for the post are exemplary. I'm always willing to get around in. I always end up flogging my heart out on the vital but totally unglamorous sections of the Heaton's Espresso's collective rides. I always make the mistake of leading the glory boys into climbs like Honister and Hardknot, only to arrive at the top myself minutes later. He says, what more does a Lantern Rouge need? I think they're both in, G. Yeah, both in. Good job. Okay, more than merrier, I reckon, for Lantern Rouges. And then a slightly strange appointment to finish with. Paul Stobbs has asked to be the official GTCC book recommender. We can probably come up with a better phrase than book recommender, but let's go with that for now. He's posted a picture of his bookcase in our Facebook group and says the reason this role is needed is because the club might need someone to recommend books for transfers between stages or travelling to destinations. Paul, I get that. The downside G here... In uh, Paul's bookcase, there's not a single one of your three books pictured, which seems no. an oversight. You're joking. I don't believe you, mate. You, surely, if, if you're applying for a position, you would have done your research and known my books. No? Are you serious? There was no books of mine? Should we put Paul's application on hold until he sends us another picture of his bookcase, which must feature at least... One of your books. We don't mind which one. They're all fine, upstanding books, which, of course, if you haven't read them, are in chronological order. Number one, The World of Cycling, according to G. Number two, The Tour, according to G. And number three, Mountains, according to G. Quite easy to remember. But there must be at least one of them in his bookcase for him to get the job. Yeah, for sure. Maybe they're all just on his bedside table. Maybe he's just reading them for the third time or something. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that's what's happened. The ones in the bookshelf are the ones he doesn't pick up anymore. But your three, he's got one in the downstairs toilet, he's got one on his bedside table, <laughs> and he's yeah. got one in the upstairs toilet. Yeah, for sure. That's got to be the explanation, yeah. Okay, and finally, we did have a shout-out to round off this meeting, but unfortunately, G, we have banned all talk of this subject. That was your doing. So I'm sorry, John Ingerfield, I cannot read out your shout-out, but... For anyone listening, it's the C word that G doesn't like. And it involves a Welsh junior training ride back in the day, G. So maybe could you just confirm whether you remember an incident involving you, John, and Joe Lally? 
Well, I know the name. I remember Joe Lally, yeah. Um, but a Welsh training ride back in the day, I just... I've absolutely no idea, actually. I'm sure it's a great story, but unfortunately, yeah. Yeah, so all talk of crashes and... Oh, sorry, C-word is off the table, sorry. So that's a double cast for poor old John Ingerfield. I can't read out your shout-out and G doesn't remember the story that you were involved in, but anyway. Tom, let's finish with a podcast recommendation then. What have you got for us this week? So G, I know you love your rugby and this is a cracker all about French rugby. So, former France international Benjamin Kaiser and Scotland international Johnny Beatty have a new podcast with all the juiciest stories and the best interviews from inside the crazy culture of French rugby. Not a baguette in sight, not a cliche. This is all original stuff. Go and search Le French Rugby Podcast to join in. Allez le bleu! So that was the Garrett Thomas Cycling Club. Thanks to our junior representative Katie, to our Lantern Rouges, Jason and Antoine, to our book recommender Paul, to our club secretary Louise Gwilliam, our head of music Emma Hickman, our treasurer Diane Barker and our honorary president Mike Carr. And of course, as always, most of all to you, our fellow GTCC club members for listening. Crowd Network, a place where you belong.